You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee, and I am joined by my co-host, Paul Doroshenko. Merry Christmas, Kyla. It's not Christmas yet. We're very close. It's going to be when the uh, podcast comes out. It's Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve. Are you excited? Is Santa going to bring you anything good? Probably not. No? Mm. No. That's too bad. Did you get yeah. anything good so far? Um. Yes. So, my cousin... Yeah. who is the boyfriend of my future articled student. Natalie. Okay. Natalie, yeah. who is a superstar. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've told him that if he ever breaks up with her, I'm keeping him and he can go away. <laughs> keeping her. <laughs> keeping her, yeah. yeah. Like as in Natalie will be my family, but he will not be. Yeah. <laughs> I'm picking her. Uh, he'd, um, he'd be a fool to let her go. He would be. Uh, he could do so well. Anyway, so... Natalie um, and Adam came over because we had to complete Natalie's paperwork for her articling application, and uh, they brought me a Christmas gift. And what was it? Well, uh, let's just say that it was festive in that it was green. Festive in that it was green. Was it cheese? Mm -hmm. No. Was it food? No, it was something you would not want to use before you drove a vehicle. Oh, oh, so is it some sort of alcohol then? No, green. Oh, cannabis. There you go, wow. Sorry. I'm slow on the uptake. I'm not a cannabis user. <laughs> no. So that, but... was the, that was the gift that you, I thought I was expecting something stranger, like some taxidermy or something. No, 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 I got some, I got some edibles, as, well, I think they were actually, they're capsules. Um, and uh, a big bag of candy, a big bag of sour candy, and a bag of chips. Oh, well, awesome. Yeah. They go together. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Hey, it's, been a while since, it's been a while since you put up a Chip Guru video. It has been. I have not had the time to eat chips, really. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a, like a box of chips around here somewhere, and you better eat them before they go bad. I found some uh, old Orville Redenbacher microwave popcorn, and I cooked it in the office, and it was it was years and years out of date. And uh, boy, the smell was just absolutely awful. So, abide abide by the best before date is my is my advice. Um, but yeah, you've got to do some chip guru videos. You should put some of them on your TikTok. I see your TikToks has gone crazy in this last week. You had seven hundred and thirty thousand views of the one that we talked about last week. Mm-hmm. And uh, you put one up tonight, and there was like 13,000 views within 45 minutes. I know, but that was the stupidest TikTok ever. Some guy said that I shouldn't let my grandma do my hair. And I said, okay, is this the part where I say that your mom can do it? And yeah. apparently people really like that. People thought that was funny, yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't fine. understand TikTok's algorithm. But the, uh, I mean, the 730,000 view one, you can understand that because people were interested in what you had to say and were commenting on it and retweeting, reposting it and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yep. No, it was good. Yeah. Um, so. What's going on in the world of driving law? What's going on in the world of driving law? Well, uh, ICBC wrote a tweet today that, that ruffled my feathers. Um, so Speaking of know, social media. Yeah, speaking of social media. 
So as you know, um, impaired driving cases uh, are investigated more frequently um, during this time of year. And ICBC's tweet said, hashtag DYK, did you know? That 38% of all impaired-related crashes happen between 9 p.m. and 3 a.m. Counterattack road checks are underway, so be sure to call a taxi slash rideshare, take transit, or arrange a designated driver for a safe ride home. Yeah, uh, that's when the accidents happen, but that's not when the enforcement takes place. <laughs> that's the thing. I was the, so frustrated. We're, we're, we're the, across the province, they're short of police officers in pretty much every jurisdiction, and so uh, overnight... There's very few officers on, and there's usually like one senior officer and then a, a dozen junior officers, and so yes, you don't have the you don't have the great depth of uh, of experience and knowledge there in the uh, in the world of uh, impaired driving enforcement. But even if you get like you get into officers like who are on specialized traffic units, like the Burnaby Traffic Unit, is the Vancouver Traffic Unit, like Vancouver Police, with lots of money. And lots of police officers, their traffic units are like 9 to 5 or 10 to 6 or 7 to 3. They're not running their traffic units at the time that impaired drivers are out. That's true. So ICBC is pointing out the fact that the impaired drivers are out at, uh, at this time, but yet <laughs> they don't have the enforcement at that time. Well, yeah. I mean, there's roadblocks out there. It's Christmas time. I know that there's been... There's been uh, some news stories about it. I've seen a couple of IRPs that were, where I've taken phone calls rather, where people were stopped at roadblocks. So, you know, they're out there. They're just not as maybe as as many as we had in the past because budgets are tight because of COVID. I mean, I I think we're going to face some real serious budget crunches in the next little while because as COVID was ending, people as COVID as people thought COVID was ending. Uh, there was uh, it, there was an expectation of an economic boom, and it wasn't happening. And now we've got COVID 2.0, and I don't think we're going to see the economic boom. And I don't think the government is going to have the resources to be able to finance policing in the next little while. I think I think we're going to see them short-staffed all over the place. I know they've, there's been a lot of uh, recruitment in uh, the Vancouver Police, and uh, they're going to be. Um, they're hiring all the time, but they've got tons and tons and tons of uh, brand new officers. And I noticed Sergeant Mark Christensen, I tweeted at him tonight because he posted a photo of a new Harley Davidson that he's got to ride uh, with the tweet, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, everyone. And yes, Santa arrived a bit early with my new 2021 Harley Davidson. And I, I uh, tweeted at him, makes a guy want to stick around to drive it maybe until September, which would be a good time to retire. And he wrote back, ha, 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 not a chance, 16 shifts left. Um, <laughs> they, he's going he's to ride the shit out of that motorcycle for the next 16 shifts. I doubt it. It's going to be snowing <laughs> for most of those 16 <laughs> shifts. I think we'll he's driving it right now <laughs> because he can drive it right now. And tomorrow we will be snowbound and he won't be driving it. But, um, yeah, I mean, maybe he can drag his 16 shifts out <laughs> until, until September. Anyway, we're going to miss him. Um, the, um, the, uh, there's all these officers who are retiring. I think maybe we discussed this last week, but, uh, you know, they're not going to have the people with the manpower and the, the human resources power and the, uh, people to, to do this at nighttime. Yep. So my question to you for discussion, um, 
after I commented on this, I said, uh, what did I say? I found my tweet and then I clicked away from it. And yet the government does not provide funding to the majority of traffic units in D.C. to allow them to run during those hours. So many just work a day shift. But I'm the bad guy. And uh, one of the responses to my tweet, I got you know, quite a few people commenting or chiming in. One of the responses is from a police officer uh, who said the government and RCMP only care about traffic if fatals go up or they make the news. Every five years, highway patrol slash traffic spots are reduced or not filled until something happens and the news finds out. Then it's new lime jackets everywhere and new members with no knowledge making bad case law. That, that is a very good point. Uh, you know, the whole that's how the integrated road safety unit came into being. You know, a few bad news stories, a few uh, fatal collisions where, you know, the, there was uh, evidence that the person was driving horribly before the collision or they have a terrible driving record. And all of a sudden there's a ton of money and they create like the integrated road safety unit. And, uh, you know, then a few years later, they just there's a loss of interest. There's a loss of will. Uh, to oh, finance it, and there's a, and then we get a bunch of officers who are brand new, and you know, you are training them in traffic court. Uh, <laughs> aside from you and Grant Gokutro going and training officers, you 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 know, they're they're learning they're learning the hard way, mm -hmm. rather than having uh, having some sort of continuity and and continuous significant or continuous um, reasonable enforcement. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So it's you know, it's a it's a thing. It's a big deal. It's yeah. annoying. It's yeah. frustrating. Well, the pendulum swing <laughs> exists in so many different things. Now, you know, it's not just traffic enforcement, right? I mean, in what sense? Well, governments cut funding to education, and then they start to see class sizes go up, and they realize that this isn't good, and so they increase some funding to education. And you know, it's the, they they cut funding to road maintenance, and then people start complaining about potholes and. There's an election coming up, so they start to fix the roads, but they don't want to be blocking the roads. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the pendulum swing of, of government will. But I think traffic is the section that government is first, like, and fastest willing to decimate if they need to put officers elsewhere, if they need to take resources. Like, remember a couple of years ago, pre-COVID summer, when there were really bad wildfires, um, and all of a sudden... Nobody was showing up to traffic court. Why? Because they were off doing the, you know, enforcing the roadblocks, keeping people out of the wildfire zones, the evacuation zones. Yeah, they pulled a lot of general duty officers. I don't know that they pulled traffic officers. I guess they did pull traffic, traffic officers. officers. I mean, they weren't showing up in court because they were way up in the interior, um, sleeping on cots, those poor officers. I felt sorry for them. Um, yeah, I guess that's where they, uh, where they draw them from first. You know, a senior, a retired senior detective from the VPD who I, I ended up talking to at a, for an extended period of time, he, he went into, uh, became a, a private investigator afterward. And he told me that um, when he was a detective, he accomplished so little. And he said they spent most of their time playing practical jokes on one another and drinking coffee and chatting. And he had no idea what work was because he spent his whole life at the VPD. And he had no idea what work was. Um, until he went out into uh, to be a private investigator, at which point he actually had to have some results. Now, you know, I know a lot of VPD officers, and I see them out there working. Um, and uh, the traffic guys, you do see working, but you have no idea what's going on back in the detachment, right? <laughs> no. But I just think, you know, 
unlike other areas of policing, like if you put police officers in sex crimes, like sure, that's great. Investigating sexual assaults, there's good, good reasons to have officers there. But arresting somebody who's allegedly committing a sex assault, doing the interviews, gathering that evidence, that doesn't generate revenue. Um, putting officers on general duty and having them seize drugs from drug users in no case seizures. That doesn't help general revenue. That doesn't but, help but, solve but, any social problems. But is policing, Kyla, to generate revenue? Every police no. officer would tell you no. No, but but if you're saying we can't afford to fund the traffic sections and we need to take officers out of the traffic sections because we don't have the revenue for it, but the traffic sections are the way to generate the revenue, then why not put more officers in the traffic sections, increase the revenue to have the money to then fully fund your police force? Or alternatively, like, I don't know, take the officers out of the other sections where the public would be horrified. I mean, I think the public would be horrified if they actually understood that there are very few officers on the roads at night, other than in counterattack season, actually looking for drunk drivers. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't like connecting the revenue that's generated from police officers doing traffic with, um, with financing the police. And people don't, people don't, and people don't like that. No, I know. I'm, I'm going to finish saying what I had to say. You're going to mansplain to me that it goes to general revenue. I know that. Um, no, my, my point is that, uh, you know, that, that is not the purpose of having traffic. I would say, however, that traffic officers probably pay for themselves. They probably earn their salary more, you know, many times over. Uh, in the tickets that they issue. You know, if, if you issue four or five tickets in a day, and those, you know, at least uh, at least 40% of those or more are people who are going to plead guilty, and then the rest um, are likely going to be found guilty at trial, you're probably bringing in more than you're being paid. Well, Grant Gokatru is a great example of that. He issued, over in the time frame from when excessive speeding summer 2010 i think it was yeah Yeah. until he retired in what 2016 2018 yeah um he issued 2000 excessive speeding tickets it was actually well over 2000 but i'm going with the math 22 2200 i think yeah 2000 that's 736 thousand dollars just from those tickets now he also issued cell phone tickets and regular speeding tickets and you know, all sorts of other tickets, he issued IRPs. Plus, each one of those excessive speeding tickets also had a driver risk premium associated to it, which was, at the time, $309 a year for three years. So $927. That's $1.8 million. That's $1.8 million. So what about the the taxes on the towing and storage? In the course Vehicles of less than towed yeah. and stowed for, stored for a week, and uh, there's provincial those, taxes on that, and and uh, sales taxes on it. Supports those towing businesses. In the course of his time as one police officer, he generated, we know for sure, two and a half million dollars in he, revenue. He caused the he caused the dollars. government to extract two and a half million dollars out of the pockets of hardworking British Columbians. Sure, you can you can frame it that way too. I'm just saying, 
If you actually put the police dedicated to impaired driving enforcement, you would catch more impaired drivers. Well, my problem is that the driving that I'm seeing these days leads me to conclude that we're going to have another one of those horrible accidents that's going to trigger this, and or we're going to have a series of them. Because I'm seeing such awful driving right now. It's really, really frustrating. Um, mm -hmm. Dangerous speeding, uh, uh, just people on their cell phones all over the place. Uh, people with their cell phones driving with their knee and on their cell phone texting. And it's something I'm seeing uh, almost, almost every day. Almost every day. The last two times I've been out, um, I, went, I went to court um, at Colwood Court. And on my way there, I was following behind someone who was driving with the fog line down the center of their vehicle. They're basically, like, driving right over the, the fog line. Did you call and them And then in? again, no. Yeah. I was on my way to court. I didn't have time for that. Yeah. And then, uh, again, today, same thing. Different car, heading down Scully's Crossroad, going to look at Christmas lights with my niece. Well, there's your problem. You're out driving around for no damn good reason. No damn good reason. I was looking after a child or something like that. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Anyway, let's uh, let's move on to topic two. You have no segue, do you? I had the segue last time, and you didn't even employ it. What was the segue? It was a brilliant segue. I segued okay. into... I forget. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have to take notes. Um, yes, topic two this week, I wanted to talk a little bit about the transphobic nature of driving enforcement, and huh. in particular, two things. The first thing I wanted to talk about was, and you and I were talking about this with some people at work earlier today, you can stop somebody because what name is on the registration doesn't match the person who's driving. And in lots of circumstances, it's, you know, the vehicle's registered to a male, but there's a female driving. Uh -huh, the, apparent, the apparent gender issue. Yes. Yeah. Now, I think that that is very regressive. Well, it is. Uh, you know, I guess the point here is, um, for for our listeners, listener, if there's one. Um, the, people Who's get, listening on Christmas Eve? I don't know. Um, but uh, police do pull people over when they appear to be not the apparent gender of the person who is registered as the owner. And one of the reasons for that is to determine whether or not the person behind the wheel is driving somebody else's vehicle to avoid detection for driving while they are prohibited from driving. Um, and that's the, that's the primary reason. Or, you know, you see somebody driving who's very young, driving a car registered to someone who's quite old, um, and again, similar thing, uh, you want to see whether or not they're lawfully permitted to be driving that car, lawfully permitted to be driving. But yeah, um, the gender one is typically um, uh, men driving uh, pickup trucks registered to women. Hmm. And in those cases, it's very often um, the, the, the man who's driving has got his wife or girlfriend to register the vehicle because they're attempting to avoid detection for the fact that they're driving while prohibited. Yep. And so you are concerned because you feel that this is 
uh, gender equality issue and that trans no, people are subject trans to rights issue. trans rights issue and that people will be subject to being pulled over more often. I don't know that you can say that that's happened. I mean, it's a theoretical think, issue. I don't think that I can say that it's happened, but I can assume that if it has not yet happened, it will happen. I mean, that's entirely possible. I mean, that we, we could have an entire episode one day about gender discrimination in in driving law. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was um, 1967. Uh, it's the anniversary right now of when the first 08 provisions were introduced in the criminal code. It was Pierre Trudeau who introduced the legislation when he was justice minister in, 19, in December 67. And that was the beginning of 08. And that was really, as you know, a gender discrimination issue because um, women, many women are not impaired in their ability to operate a motor vehicle when they're at 80 milligrams. But many men are, and it takes a lot more alcohol to get to a, a man to 80 milligrams than it does a woman. Um, mm-hmm. Yet we have this, this provision that it's 80 milligrams. And on top of that, um, the partition ratio uh, is uh, different for men and women, and of course the partition ratio was developed. We're talking the breath to blood ratio, so you 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 exhale breath, and um, this certain amount of alcohol that's in your breath is extrapolated by software in the in the um, breathalyzer to determine what your blood alcohol concentration would be. That is uh, was something that was calculated using men. Um, there's lots of, we could have an entire episode on gender and driving. Well, I mean, Jan and I have talked a bit about, you know, how there's no scientific research. We had an episode about this, how there's no scientific research into, like, what happens when a person transitions. Like, do you, do do the drugs and the therapies and the surgeries that people take to aid in their transition change the biological processing of alcohol? Because when you calculate the blood alcohol of a person who is female versus a male, the female's blood alcohol level, based on the same alcohol consumption and the same weight, assuming all the other factors are equal, is 1.17 times higher than the man's. But what if you transition? Like, are you if you transition from male to female, are you then going to be subject to an artificially high determination of your blood alcohol concentration and vice versa if you transition from, from female to male? Well, the issue there is, though, that it doesn't matter. The, the point is, the offense is, are you at or over 80 milligrams, regardless of whether or not your actual blood alcohol concentration is at or over 80 milligrams. It's whether your breath alcohol no. is at, at or over 80. Well, no, no, hang on, hear me no. out. So long as the test has been reliably done. I mean, the Americans would no, look but at what it if you, and say... What if it's not a breath test? What if it's a blood test? Well, that's different. That's different. But it's if you, different. you know, the presumptions, that, the presumptions that arise from a breath test or if this is what the reading is and everything else has been done correctly, you're guilty whether or not, even if your blood alcohol concentration, if you pull blood, was at 50. Yeah, if but you blew 80, you're guilty. There are circumstances in which the presumptions don't apply, in which case the Crown would be required to call an expert. Yeah. And the expert is going to do the calculations Yes. based on assumptions about gender that are either discriminatory to the person because they're not respecting that person's real gender or are discriminatory to the person on the basis of their being trans 
because there is no scientific research to explain which calculations apply to the trans individual. Well, again, I guess we're getting to a theoretical thing. It's not uh, theoretical. This is affecting people's lives. Well, no, had, I mean... we had more than one trans yes. client. I know, I know, but we haven't had a single trans client where there's been an expert witness call to extrapolate the uh, but blood alcohol concentration. For IRPs, where we've used the superintendent's report on calculating blood alcohol concentration to calculate their blood alcohol level. And that calculation is doesn't apply to women, or doesn't only applies to men, or doesn't only apply to There's a know. different calculation for women versus men. And that in the superintendent's one? Yes, you multiply by 1.17 if it's a woman. Oh. Well, I always leave the math to you, so there you go. <laughs> This is what I'm saying. This isn't theoretical. This is affecting people. And there are, you know, the presumptions of the criminal code, notwithstanding, when it comes to IRPs and ADPs, those presumptions don't apply. Well, one wonders about all sorts of other medical issues that could have affected them. You know, you you probably talked to Yawn about people who have been exposed for extended periods to chemicals, like people who work in hair salons. Uh, we know that their that their partition not, ratio is different. So there's this is another medical issue, really. It's a medical issue. It's not a medical issue. This is who these people are. I get that, and that is how you have to approach it for the purpose of researching it. I think it's a it's a scientific, unanswered question that needs to be addressed. Otherwise, we're going to get to a point where it is inherently discriminatory to continue to rely on this. And I think going back to those traffic stops, I think there is a new basis to challenge the stop-to-check license where it is based on gender presentation because that is discriminatory. I think you have an issue there. I think there's a, uh, I think in both cases there's a substantive issue, but I don't think it's going to be something that's dealt with until you've got a case that's on that really meets the test there or, or really where it's a central issue. And I think you might see it in a drive-well prohibited case. I think you're right. Probably see it there first. Somebody yeah. pulled over on the basis of apparent gender. Yeah. No, I know. I know. Uh, it was a, an interesting thing. When you talk to police officers and you find out that that's the reason they've been, they've been pulling, you know, that they pulled somebody over, um, mm -hmm. you know, how is that going to affect the outcome in the decision? I don't know. I mean, it, it's almost never a charter violation in a drive-while prohibited case. But sometimes it is. I mean, if, if it's egregious, yeah. Well, I, I would characterize it as egregious. Well, it would probably feel egregious, I would think, to someone who's facing that situation. So I guess I would, I would, I would accept that. Yep. I have to hear the argument. <laughs> I'm not the judge, nor will I never be, ever be. Didn't I just make it for you? Well, yeah, I know. You made you made part of the argument. I'd want to see the facts of the case instead of the hypothetical. So what are we talking about next? Well, I thought maybe we'd go for our... The Ridiculous Driver of the Week. The Ridiculous Driver of the Week. Which awesome. actually was one you found. I sent two to you this week. Too. Yeah, I sent you one today, and I sent you one uh, yesterday, and they were both uh, pretty ridiculous. I was only thinking of the one that was today. Hmm. What was the one yesterday? The one know. yesterday was Edmonton. 
it was a guy operating a, a road grader clearing the road and he pulled it up behind a vehicle and he's just driving into this vehicle. And I don't know what happened from it since, but he was a, a greater operator clearing snow from the road and hit a vehicle and there's a woman like trying to get out of it. And I don't know what took place after that. I didn't get to follow up on it, but I just saw the, uh, the tweet and that was a ridiculous, uh, ridiculous road grader driver of the week. Hmm. Pretty bad. I was thinking about that. I was thinking about our, uh, lovely, most sympathetic, ridiculous driver that we've ever had, the investment banker driving a Porsche convertible. So, like, already you know he's an asshole. It's got 9-11 written big on the side. He's he's a self-employed investment banker. Yeah. In his, uh, and he lives in a a home in Tampa. So this is Florida again, a Florida man. Yeah, a waterfront home in Tampa that he paid 800000 U.S. for. Yeah, I know. Can you believe that you can buy a waterfront home in Tampa for 800000 U.S.? That's like $1.1 million Canadian. Yeah, but that's actually a very expensive house in Tampa. Oh, I'm sure it is, but it's jump change to a Vancouverite who's living in a <laughs> uh, $4 million crack shack. I was going to say, it's not chump change to me. But... You no, know, I'm just saying, like... You 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 bought your house in 1978 for uh, for eighty six thousand dollars, and now it's worth four point two million. Anyway, um, so what does he do? What does he do? What does a ridiculous driver do, Kyla? He punches a sixteen year old girl in the face. Uh, you know why? Yeah, I know why. I read it. Well, you're supposed to say no, Kyla. Why? No, Kyla. Why? I'm not the one who sent it to you. <laughs> Because she cut him off in traffic. She's like learning how to drive. She's a child. She's 16 years old and he perceives that she's cut him off. Yeah. And he gets out of his car. He follows her to an intersection. Yeah. Yeah. He he follows the 16 year old. He's a like 40 year old investment banker. And he follows the 16 year old in his Porsche, probably tailing her the entire way. And then goes up to her and her windows down are open. And he goes up and yells at her and then punches her in the jaw. Yeah, calls and, her a stupid bitch. Yeah. She's 16. She's 16. Asshole. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, was, I sent you one the other day that was uh, from a few years ago where um, somebody was, felt that they were cut off in Florida. And then they were on a highway and this car, you know, would end up in front of them or behind them. And the guy started shooting out the windshield. Through the windshield. And the passenger was videoing it, going, oh, no. And he's the guy shooting out the windshield. There's glass flying everywhere um, at the uh, at the vehicle ahead. I thought that could be our ridiculous driver of the week, but I think it was a couple of years ago. But I found the video. I don't, I can't remember where I saw it. It was some social media somewhere. But it is, uh, it's a, a little frightening in Florida. Probably more frightening right now because of Omicron. I don't know what Omicron's doing in Florida. God, it's frightening what it's doing here. You know what else I love about this case, though? What? Because he reached into her car to hit her, they charged him with burglary. Well, that's so ridiculous. That's so fucking yeah. stupid. Burglary for reaching into the car because technically he crossed the threshold, right? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I mean, whatever. I'm not sympathetic to the dude at all. It's an assault. It's a stupid assault. He should be in trouble for it. Probably should get a criminal. Probably should get a criminal record for it and uh, anger management or something like that. Uh, I actually, I think I would say, 
Three-month driving prohibition. Three. Criminal, criminal conviction. Duh. And a $5,000 fine. Felony, not a misdemeanor. Okay. Three-month driving prohibition, $5,000 fine, and anger management for six months. No. No? What are you giving him? What's your sentence? Giving him, giving him a felony conviction, probation, not a fine. A fine's meaningless to Richie Rich himself there. Giving him probation with anger management counseling conditions, community work service hours, and he's got to apologize to the girl. All right, listeners, I would like to know what sentence you would give our ridiculous driver of the week. Uh, please uh, put it in where, do we have comments somewhere? <laughs> you can always send us a tweet. We post, the, uh, the driving yeah, law has its own Twitter yeah. account, so you can either tweet myself or Kyla or the driving law account. I want to know what sentence you would give the ridiculous driver of the week. Again, guys, uh, driving along in his Porsche, he perceives that he's cut off by a 16-year-old he follows the 16-year-old. Then when she stopped at a set of lights, he goes up and confronts her and punches her in the jaw and calls her a, excuse me, dumb bitch. Uh, what would be the sentence you would give him? They caught him uh, because it said 9-11 on the side of the car. Easy to identify him. There you go. Yep. All right. Well, that's our podcast. We're having a slightly shorter episode than normal because it's uh, Christmas, and you do not need to hear our voices going into the holiday. I don't know. I'm going to put the headphones on and listen to it when I'm making uh, making dinner for Christmas Eve. Okay. Um, if you need to reach us, you can find us online at VancouverCriminalLaw.com or give us a call at 604-685-8889. And tune in next week for another exciting episode of Driving Law as we wrap up the most important driving law cases of the year. 